Well, I'm ready to go. Whatever, whatever you are, we're we're all good. <laughs> okay. Welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy. Still hitting the side of my TV to make it work. Yunan. That's kind of my relationship with technology. I hit the side of it uh, to make it work. Nobody really does that anymore in movies and TV shows. It's kind of weird. Anyways, today's adventure is interviewing Jamie Allen in Eye Magician. What? He combines magic with iPads. Though, as you'll hear... Magic has a compelling history of employing technology to create innovative solutions. Magicians were the original Silicon Valley. As Arthur C. Clarke pointed out, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? Yo, that's tight. Shout out to Arthur C. Clarke. I've been incredibly fortunate to roll with several magicians, and I find it irritating irritating when they attempt to dispel the magic it's a card trick or they're using a previously bent coin no it's not it's magic i'm fully invested the magic is 100 real magic it's magic magic that even in an era laced with science and where enlightenment is peddled like a drug i make room for magic is one of my pop culture food groups. Which is why I so hope Illusionarium opens as expected. Ready for this? Quote, Conceived by British magician Jamie Allen, this experimental exhibit blends Jamie's encyclopedic knowledge of the history of magic with state-of-the-art technology, bringing the illusions of the past into the 21st century. Comprised of a series of four magical rooms, each representing a different era, starting with the 17th century, visitors are guided through ever-evolving styles of magic spanning hundreds of years. End quote. Yo, I'm 100% in. Penn and Teller are part of this. That right there, that's worth the price of admission. David Copperfield made some valuable contributions. Harry Houdini, who died in 1926, makes an appearance. What? And this all takes place in Toronto, Canada which was, of course, the home of magician Doug Henning. So much discuss with magician Jamie Allen. Shall we? I'm the straight man. I just set him up. You knock him down. Great. Okay. (laughs) uh, (laughs) If you're running out of time, just cut the story short in the middle. Sure. No problem. Well, I'm ready to go. Whatever you you are, we're we're all good. (laughs) Okay. By the way, welcome to Toronto. Welcome to Canada. It's the home of Doug Henning. I know. I'm such a big fan of Doug Henning. I love Doug. When I was a kid, he was like my childhood hero. Because his shows used to get played at Christmas time in the UK. So Doug Henning's World of Magic. I wore those VHS cassettes out. We'd record them or my, <laughs> my nan would record them. I'd play them over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of Doug Henning's. We've got some um, some artifacts of Doug on display at the Illusionarium, actually, because it's, it's my... Um, I mean, I'm trying to pay tribute to the whole uh, history of magic, but the... Uh, I'm also get to pick a few of my favorites as well, which is great being kind of the curator of it. <laughs> that is really neat. And today is also a special day. Today, the National Museum 
of American Jewish history will induct two of the most famous illusionists of all time, uh, Harry Houdini and David Copperfield, into its uh, Only in America gallery. No, it's true. It's very true. I spoke to David Copperfield yesterday because he's been helping us out, uh, providing us with a couple of things for the Illusionarium. And um, I was passing on congratulations. He is um, arguably, by any standards, the greatest magician that has ever lived. David Copperfield. Uh, His achievements are off the charts. I mean, four billion in ticket sales that he has had. More people see him than any other solo entertainer in the history of the world. More than Michael Jackson, more than Elvis Presley. It's incredible, you know, what he's achieved as a magician as well. I was surprised he wasn't inducted in in that Hall of Fame already. That seems kind of slow. He was probably too busy. (laughs) (laughs) He he now has a little time off because, of course, Vegas is closed and um, his schedule is nuts. He does over 500 shows a year. So... I mean, this is, uh, this is a man that has dedicated his whole life to this art. And, um, you know, that's, that's what it takes to become the best. And speaking of the best, your previous show, I'm Magician, explored uh, Harry Houdini, another one of the best. It did, yeah. I've had a long affinity with Houdini because uh, I wrote a musical about Houdini in 2007 that we toured that was written by myself and my friend uh, Simon Wheeler. We wrote this musical and toured it around. And I was always fascinated with Houdini. And I always tried to do bits about Houdini in my show. And in fact, we took a few of his ideas and found a modern take on them. So in I, Magician, we do his famous water torture cell uh, with famous with real water, of course. But also <laughs> we combine it with uh, modern projection mapping techniques so that it's very, very immersive. And it's actually the end of our uh, I, Magician show. And um, th- that, that never gets old, I can tell you. You're having to get out of a tank of water twice daily. <laughs> But at least, yeah, you're clean, though, right? Getting That's right. Yeah, you always uh, are. Out of the water of the tank twice a day. Yeah, I know it does. I mean, well, we don't always clean the water, of course. The water stays in for you know about two days before it gets too dirty. We have to treat the water every day because that in itself is its own logistic. The funny thing with a big, big magic show is off stage the choreography is just as much trying to get these things on and off stage and cleaned and having this water at the right temperature. It's um there's a huge infrastructure behind the scenes in any big show, just the same as what we're doing here in Toronto. What the audience see and what actually happens are two completely different dances. Mm-hmm. Because like the other classic bit of show business wisdom was always don't work with animals or children. Now, is, so it that- is working with technology just problematic? You know, at some point the, the tech is going to everything technology eventually has a glitch or something goes wrong and the question isn't if it's going to go wrong but when it's going to go wrong and knowing what you're going to do about it or about time and i think that's really the important thing um i think that in our case we have a backup plan for virtually everything we have a master system that runs our whole show for instance and if that goes down then everything goes down. So we have to have everything backed up. My uh, production manager, my right-hand man, Tommy Bond, who conceived Illusionarium with me, um, he is a, a big fan of backups. Every single thing that he has, <laughs> has another one right behind it doing exactly the same job. <laughs> Redundancy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so in terms of like growing up in show business, was that part of your education, like in terms of stagecraft? 
Yeah, it was. My mum and dad were in show business. Uh, my mum was a singer. My father was a songwriter. I am the only magician. And um, they used to tour around. They had a, a band called Touch of Velvet with Kay Kennedy. And they were very, very popular in, in their day. And they were touring around the United Kingdom. But then, of course, I had to go to school. So my parents decided it would be better than me just living with the grandparents that I could um, have a, some sort of a normal upbringing. So they decided to buy a country pub and they turned it into a cabaret venue. And uh, I grew up in that. So when I was five, I saw a magician there and that, um, that inspired me to become a magician. I saw, I saw somebody make a person float from the audience. Mm. And, um, I couldn't believe it. I said to my dad, how could that be possible? And my dad, rather than telling me the, the right dad answer, which is, of course, um, it's magic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jamie, my, my dad told me how the trick was done. <laughs> and, um, and as a result of that, I was, I was fascinated that the idea I could fool an adult into thinking I had some kind of power that I did not. And so Quite as addictive. you started performing as a kid then, didn't yeah. like one of the flash papers... <laughs> Yeah, when I was eight o'clock, when it was eight, well, sorry, eight o'clock, when I was eight years old, I did my first show fully. I say eight o'clock because the shows always went up at exactly eight o'clock. My dad was a real stickler for that. So my first show when I was eight at eight, um, I, I did my first show. Uh, it was only about 10 minutes. I did a little spot before one of the big acts. And I always, always had a warm reception there because there were so many locals that knew my parents uh, so I always, uh, I was the cute kid, I guess. And it was only when I was around 13, 14, and I started getting really tall that I, I only started to get a sense of if I was actually any good and people weren't just being kind to me. <laughs> <laughs> but didn't one of the flash papers go wrong and you ended up with a scar? Yeah, I do have a scar. Yeah, that was from, my, um, that was from uh, not from when I was a kid, though. That would have been when I was about 20 or something. I put, I put this small explosive... <laughs> Um, I used to walk on with a flaming torch and I'd light this little explosive and throw it in the air. And uh, I I cleverly used to keep it under my watch strap. And when I was waving the torch around, I accidentally caught the the end of this flash paper that burnt under my watch. And of course, it wasn't going to get out and it wasn't going to stop. And it just just burnt the whole thing beneath my watch strap and my my wrist. Um, It it was incredibly painful. (laughs) I can still remember it. I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah, which is explains course, why. Sammy, the very first thing that happened in the first seconds that I walked onto the stage and then had to do 45 minutes with my watch melted to my arm. Because, uh, you know, oh. when I was a kid, they always used to say the show has to go on. Now, as I get older, I don't mm. think that's necessarily true. I think it's perfectly acceptable to stop a show. <laughs> I think I think that the it's the producers that say the show must go on. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> See, showbiz knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> I think the artists, they, they, it doesn't need to go on. It can stop. I don't think there's anybody in the audience that would say, no, we need to see magic right so, now. <laughs> so is that why when you, many years later, appeared on Penn & Teller Fool Us, you just kind of went with the digital iPad thing just to make it a little more simpler? No, the, the iPad thing was something that they, so that's kind of a feature thing of mine, but now it's sort of almost a historical piece for me because that was one of the first things that changed my life really that trick because when I first did that with the four iPads and if you're listening to this you can look it up if you just type in uh, Jamie Allen uh, Foolers you'll find it and it's a trick with four iPads and by today's standards it's actually not as impressive it's more like an artistic piece but when I first did it Sammy you've got to remember I was doing that when iPads were brand new Mm -hmm. 
and when when that was happening, because you remember what it was like when you first saw an iPad, they were, they're quite magical. Mm-hmm. And now we take them all for granted because they're such a part of our life. They're so ingrained into our everyday life. But when we first saw one, everybody was wow about this thing. So I was using it. And of course, because of that, I did it on about seven or eight television shows in that first year. And that really turned things around for me because I was able to, um, to take my tour to a much bigger level and sell a lot more tickets. And I owe it all to that trick. So I, I now keep it in my show, but I tell this story um, because, but now that's the thing with iMagician and technology. I'm always looking at the new technology and bringing that into the show. So things can take a year to prepare and then they can have a very short lifespan in my show because we're constantly evolving. There's certain classics that always stay in, but there's many things are evolving in there. So that brings us to your Toronto show, then. What classics or what can we expect from Illusionarium? You can expect something from everything. We've tried to touch on every single base of magic. And it's not a show about me. Uh, It's a show about magic and its history. And it celebrates the greatest magicians throughout time. It's a journey through the history of magic. So it's not a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's an experience. It has live demonstrators inside that that demonstrate to the audience some of the illusions uh, on on stages that are built within the venue, and it's made up of four main rooms. And uh, the first one is the Palais Royal, which is uh, Robert Houdin's home. And Robert Houdin was the father of modern magic in the late eighteen hundreds. And he was the first person to ever create a theater dedicated to the art of magic. And he took magic off of the streets and he made it classy and he made it an evening entertainment. And he invented Mm -hmm. some some marvelous illusions. And we actually uh, are inspired by, let me tell you about Houdan. He inspired many, many generations of magicians because of the the works that he created and the books that he wrote. Now, one of those magicians was a a child called Eric Weiss. Now, Eric took the nickname Mm -hmm. Eri, which became Harry, and he took Houdin's name and added an I to it, and he became Houdini, and as a direct result of working from Houdin. So we have Harry Houdini appearing in Robert Houdin's theatre as a hologram. Um, and, in new, and a new oh, technology wow. for holograms. Um, if you've ever seen a concert where they've brought a star back to life in hologram, this is one part mm-hmm. of it. But what we have done is taken that technology to another level. So it is actually 3D depth. So it's, a, it's, it's multiple wow. layers. And it, it's like watching a 3D movie, but without glasses. You know, you just see it in front of you. And of course, hologram technology doesn't really exist. So this is simulated theatrical hologram technology. But you come in and see this and you will see a hologram of Houdini standing in free space and he'll read your mind. And that's really, really, that's going to be really, really cool. And um, we also have a, um, a, a room called the Egyptian Hall, which was the, the, was the most important venue in the history of magic in the timeline of illusion. Uh, that was in London's Piccadilly at the turn of the century again, around the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it was called the home, uh, England's home of mystery and the world's greatest magicians performed there. So we've built our own Egyptian hall inside of Illusionarium and there a live magician will demonstrate about the five rules of magic um, because you, there are only five tricks in the world, Sammy. Did you know this? Uh, vanish, reappear. Yep. Do you, I'll give you a point for each one. Uh, vanish, reappear. Levitation. Levitation, that's three. 
um, objects are transformed or reconstructed. Yeah, reconstructed. Yeah, you can break something and you can put it back together. And the other one you kind of hit, which is in a way transform, it's a penetration. So you can take a solid object and yes. pass it through another solid object. And that really is the base of all magic. Um, now, you could say a, a transposition. Something could vanish from one place and appear in another. But that is really just a vanish of one item and a production of it somewhere else. So mm -hmm. everything is harnessed by those five rules. And then, of course, you've got mind reading, uh, but that's its own genre, and we touch on that as well. Uh, but in our, in our Egyptian hall, rather, uh, our magician demonstrates about the five rules of magic, and it's narrated by the voice of David Devant, who was um, the signature magician at the Egyptian hall, and also uh, one of history's greatest inventors of magic. And uh, David Devant narrates us through this guide as we present the five rules of magic. And uh, David Devant, interestingly, our... Egyptian Hall opens with a, a, a little projection about uh, David Devant, and it shows an archive video of him. And this is fascinating, that David Devant was also a pioneer of cinema, and he was the first <coughs> magician, excuse me, to ever appear on film. And he actually invented the concept of cinema, uh, which is really cool. So we, we, we include that as well. That's the interesting thing about your work, too. Like you said, the, um, the iPad, we're kind of used to it now, but... Magic has a long history of using technology. Yes, it does. Yeah. In fact, one of the earliest examples of that is somebody we've just mentioned, Robert Houdin, who used to do a trick called the light and heavy chess. And now we can reveal the method for this at this point in time, because the, if anybody saw it in today's standards presented as a trick, they would know how it was done. But when Houdin did it, he had a chest on the stage that the strongest man in the audience couldn't lift, but he could lift easily. Now, and the way he did it was with an electromagnet under the stage and a metal plate on the base of the chest. Now, that sounds like it wouldn't fool anybody, and truly it wouldn't today, which is why we can talk about it. However, mm -hmm. in those days, nobody knew anything about <laughs> electromagnetics. So it was a miracle because it was just a wooden box on a wooden floor. <laughs> so... How are you balancing scale and size with magic? Sometimes magic has, can be close up. So how are you balancing size and scale? Well, again, magic? I mean, ma magic exists on so many levels in so many styles. So we are trying to do everything. So, uh, for instance, there is the close up magician that you might see at a bar if you went to somewhere like the Magic Castle or the Magic Lounge in Chicago, where you could see close up magic in front of you. That's a wonderful style of magic. And we have that. It's in our VIP theater, which is at the end of the experience. You can watch a close up magician perform all at a social distance, all safe, of course. Um, if you like the parlor style of magic, which is where the performer can stand on a stage and entertain an audience of 30, 40 people. Well, because of social distance, our audiences are that size. You know, we are not we are not bringing big groups through. We can't do mm -hmm. a theater production. So we have rooms that have space for everybody, nice and airy, uh, but yet they can watch the magic safely, but they can see it closer than they would. And this is most relevant in the final room in our venue, which is called Evolution, which is a, an immersive room that's surrounded by high-resolution LED walls on the stage, below the stage, to the sides, and out into the audience. You really feel like you're part of the magic. It's very, very spectacular. But we're also bringing out large-scale illusions. And normally, the only place you would see these is in a theater where you might be sat 20 rows back. You'll never see illusions of this size this close. 
So that's really exciting. And of course, we've also got our other room that we didn't even talk about, which is um, Penn and Teller's room. Uh, yeah, which, I was um, getting to Penn and Teller. Uh, on air. Yeah, th th that was fascinating in itself and a different style of magic again. Yeah, my dad doesn't like magic. Uh, he doesn't like the hustle aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But when we were in Vegas, I dragged him to Penn and Teller and we went and he, he had a good time because they're super funny. Yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. It's funny you say it, Sammy, because every single... Uh, I get so many people come up to me after the show, and I'm sure most magicians do, saying, I don't like magic, but I really enjoyed your show. And I think the, the secret to that is people don't like bad magic, and they don't like people that uh, either take it too seriously or they, um, they present it in such a way as that they are cleverer than the audience. And I yeah. think that's... And I think it should be presented with a certain honesty. And even if you see mm -hmm. David Copperfield, who presents these grand scale theatrical pieces and one of the greatest storytellers, he does a routine about Blue, the, the alien, which is one of the most incredible. It's like a movie on stage. It's incredible. But even he says that this is not real. It's a story, you know, mm -hmm. and, it, and you go along with it for the ride. And um, when magic is presented nicely, I believe far more people like it than think they do because there's so much bad magic on the Internet. <laughs> Yeah, there is lots. And I think it's interesting that you're connected with Penn & Teller because all three of you have a deep reverence for the history of magic. Yes. Yes, we do. I mean, I, I love magic history. And it's where I get a lot of my ideas from because I'm, I'm known as a high-tech magician and trying to, trying to push the envelope a little bit. But the truth of the matter is I, I get a lot of my ideas from old books. You know, I'm reading up on magic that hasn't been done for over 100 years and trying to see if there's anything that inspires us to create something that could make it work for a modern audience and change it, you know, make it bring it up to date and try and reinvent some of these classics, as well as a few things that we just invent. But everything in magic is based on something else. It's like a, a piano with so many notes, but infinite tunes. And it's the same with magic, with five rules, but infinite possibilities. Mm -hmm. It's like a maze. And we talk about that in the uh, in the show, you know. Yeah, it really is. So the show is supposed to open uh, December 21. Yes, um, that's right. If it goes well or there might be COVID closings, are you hoping to extend it into the new year like past February? Oh, absolutely. If uh, we will, we will, uh, we will stay open a, 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 as long as as long as we need to. And we're just going to conform with whatever the government tells us to do. I mean, the number one priority at the moment is, you know, we're trying to give people a little entertainment, and we're also uh, employing, uh, you know, around 120 arts workers for this, um, which is great because nobody has a job in this business at the moment. So mm -hmm. that's been one of the most rewarding things about about this project. But we have to follow the government guidelines, and we want to follow the government guidelines. I mean, thank. Go that's downstairs that we partnered with the same people that produced Van Gogh, uh, Immersive Van Gogh. Do you know they've had over 200,000 people through that exhibit and not one case of COVID linked to it? So they're, they're masters uh, of the safety of it. But still, we, we will do as the government say. And if they say we can open, say, we, uh, we can open and uh, we will open safely at that time on the 21st with all, all, all willing. And, uh, and we are ready. I mean, the, 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 the social distance and the safety that's in place for the venue is really second to none. It's, mm -hmm. it's absolutely top notch. Uh, just the last question then. 
what is your normal tradition when you travel uh, and you go visit different cities or you have residencies like this at a city? Uh, is there certain things that you like to explore or to see or do to kind of get a vibe of the city and what the well, people you know, are like? The, the first thing I usually do when I land somewhere in Canada or the U.S., is I'm jet lagged, so normally I go out and find a, a great steak and some whiskey. Oh, <laughs> and that can't happen at the moment. Yes. <laughs> and um, apologies. No, I know. So uh, it's all been in our room, and I would love to explore Toronto more. And I'm sure I'll be back and forth uh, during the life of this exhibit. So right. I'm hoping I'm going to get to see it more. There's so many things I want to see, and there's so many things I can't do because all we're doing is traveling between our hotel. Mm -hmm. and the venue where, where we're building the exhibit on a daily basis. So we've got a big team down there, obviously, doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, luckily, luckily we, ha we have a big team on the ground there, but luckily the venue is so large that we never see anybody. Yes. <laughs> forget this, you can forget this two-metre distance, Sammy. You're not within, you're not within 30 metres of <laughs> the nearest person. So we're like COVID keeners then, right? We're really yeah, yeah, on top yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, that's it. I think we covered the main things, right? We covered uh, Doug Henning. We covered David Copperfield, Penn and Teller. We and did. And I hope you get to come down and see it. Penn and Teller do a trick on the TV screens. Um, we worked with them to create something uh, unique just for, the, just for the exhibit. And they do a magic trick, which is amazing, that they get the audience to do in their own hands. And they fool themselves. <laughs> um, it's great. And... Yeah. and in our age now, I'll leave you with this thought that throughout history, most of the magician's arsenal was about borrowing things from the audience. You know, can I borrow your watch? Can I borrow mm -hmm. you some money, your phone, pick a card? And we can't, we can't do any of that. We yeah. can't have any contact with people. So, so all the magic has had to be designed to be remote. And, and then hmm. on one side, that's easy, but we also need the magic to be impressive and the best kind it can be. So we've had to really invent new ways of doing things. And that's been fascinating. And I hope you get down to see it because it's really something very special. No, I'm excited to put on pants and go check it out. I'm not yeah, really a fan. Yeah. I'm not a fan of pants. Any excuse to put on trousers. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and uh, get or down pants. there and check it out. So uh, yeah. I'm, I'm bilingual Thank now. You. I'm doing it all. Pants, sidewalk, trash. I'm trying to work out all of the sayings. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's right. Pants is underwear for you, right? Pants is underwear for us. We wear trousers and we walk on the pavement and we throw we, we throw discarded items in the rubbish bin. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And good luck crossing the street, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need you to stay alive for the show. So I know. This is true. Yeah. Thank you <laughs> thank, so much. Thank you very much, Sammy. Uh, this was a lot of fun. So I will, I will go check out the show and I'll like, tweet you out uh, when uh, my review of the show. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah, please do. Oh, yo, I was sold at the Harry Houdini hologram. <laughs> it sounds like the holographic doctor on Star Trek Voyager. Houdini died on October 31st, Halloween, 1926, decades before I was born. So a chance to see him live, I'm doing air quotes here, I don't know how to do air quotes on a podcast, but the chance to see him live will be truly magical. My guest and speaker was Jamie Allen, the eye magician. I'm Sam Yunin. I guess the iPodcaster or something. I don't know what it, whatever. If you go to Illusionarium, let me know your thoughts, feelings, and impressions. My summer lair.
for all three platforms, for the IG, for the Facebook, and for the Twitter. My summer lair. I really hope this sucker opens because we could all use some magic in our lives. Lately, all we've been dealing with is chaos. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to me in a magical world. Magic, yo. <laughs>